to the Word of God together. I just love that. It's one of my favorite times every week when Abby just comes up here and kind of walks us through a lot of things that are happening. It's so encouraging every week when we're just reminded. You know, we gather in here on Sundays, and I don't know about y'all, but it's a lot of fun when we get to be together. We get to worship together, which, by the way, give it up for our worship team. They just keep doing such a great job. But Abby does such a great job just reminding us that we gather so we can scatter, right? So we're in here and we're worshiping together. We look at what God's word has to say, but don't ever take for granted just the light that you're being every single day, wherever God's called you to be. Now, if you're just jumping in today with us for the first time, welcome. We are so honored you're here and you picked a good day to be here. We just kicked off a brand new series last week. And um, if you're new to our church, we teach in series, not just sermons. And so they kind of pick up from one week uh, where we left off the last. And so if you did miss the kickoff last week, uh, let me encourage you to go back and find that. We're looking at the life of Joseph, 14 chapters in the book of Genesis, lots there. And we're looking at it through the lens of plan B. Joseph is sold into slavery at the age of 17. He finds himself in the household of an Egyptian master and his plan B reality lasts for 13 years. And yet in the midst of that, he encounters God. And for many of us walking through a plan B scenario, maybe your marriage isn't where you want it to be. The relationship with your kids isn't where you want it to be. Maybe it's your finances, maybe it's your health. The good news for us, is the way that we encounter God through the eyes of Joseph. I believe God wants to encounter you the same way today. Now, here's the thing. Today's message ain't gonna be much fun, all right? So let me go ahead and tell you, the title of today's message is The Danger of Deception. Now, I say it's not gonna be a lot of fun, but it might actually be the most fruitful message in this series because for some of you today, this message and this warning may literally save you from going down a path that could lead you to destruction. And what we're gonna see from Genesis 39 is that Joseph faces a situation where he has a choice to make. He makes the right decision, and we can learn from that, but ultimately, we can also be warned from it as well. It's a really great story. It's a lot to read, but before we jump into that, just for a second, I think it's important for us to revisit some things foundationally in this series. And so if you're taking notes, let me just give you kind of three big truths. Like, why are we doing this series? Why is it so important for us to learn in this plan B reality through the life of Joseph? So first reason is through the life of Joseph, God introduces themes about himself. One of the things we're gonna see as we keep going through this series is it's not really about Joseph. It's actually more about God. That as we get to Genesis chapter 37, what we begin to see through the life of Joseph are actually some things about God. We talked a little bit about some of these last week, the promise of God's presence. We see that through the life of Joseph. What, what the enemy intends for evil, we sang about it earlier. God can use that for good. We see that through the life of Joseph, sometimes when you're going through something, it can actually feel like things will never change. Can I get an amen, right? It's like, this just feels like I'm stuck. And what we see through the life of Joseph is what feels permanent is always temporary in light of the greater story that God is telling us. And so we're gonna learn some things, not just about Joseph, but also about God, that God then continues to unpack about himself throughout the rest of scripture. Second kind of big truth in this series is that the way God works in Joseph's plan B reality provides encouragement and guidance for us and our plan B reality. Again, the situation you find yourself in, the circumstance you would not have chosen. Someone has mistreated you, they've moved on with their life, you're left in the mess. 
And many times when we're in those situations, it can feel like God has abandoned us, forgotten us. How is he gonna bring good from this? And yet what we're gonna see in this series is that the way God continues to encounter Joseph, encourage Joseph, meet Joseph where he's at, that's encouragement for us. But like, here's the thing. Joseph does some stuff to cooperate with that as well. And so while I want you to be encouraged, I also want you to be challenged to see how we can cooperate with God with what he wants to ultimately accomplish in our plan B. And then finally, kind of big idea in this series, we are more vulnerable to temptation and deception when we're living in a plan B reality. That's what we're gonna look at today. And that's just how it goes. Like if you're in a situation or circumstance you didn't choose, your emotions can start to mess with you a little bit. And make no mistake about it, you, me, all of us, all right? I ain't ain't coming down on anybody, I'm I'm in this with you, okay? Our emotions will trump our thoughts every single time. Like you can read your Bible and leave it knowing exactly what to think and then life throws you a curveball, and your emotions get a little out of whack and all of the sudden we're more vulnerable than we were before. All of the sudden, we're considering things that we never thought we would consider. Why is that? Well, because we are more vulnerable to deception and more vulnerable to temptation when we're in a plan B. And what I want you to see today in this passage is that's exactly where Joseph found himself. Genesis chapter 39, it's a really long story. So hang with me as I read through it and then we're gonna unpack it for a little while today, see what God has to say to us. So starting in verse six of Genesis 39. Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. So Potiphar's in charge, he's head of the household. Joseph's demonstrated some integrity that's earned his trust, and so he's left things in Joseph's care. And with Joseph in charge, he, Potiphar, did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome, and after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. Very subtle, okay, verse eight. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am, and my master has withheld nothing from me except you. Makes sense, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her servants and said, look, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home and then she told him her story. That Hebrew slave you brought us came to make sport of me, but as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, his wife told him saying, this is how your slave traded me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. Again, we see that theme that regardless of what's happened, God is still with Joseph. And so obviously in this situation, Joseph makes the right choice. His right choice is rewarded by being thrown into prison, okay? So we're gonna take some time and unpack how Joseph handled this temptation, how he avoided being deceived. But just for a second, I think it's important for us to pause every now and then when we're studying God's word and be reminded of a few things. 
Every little story that we read in the Bible is contributing to the bigger story that God is telling. And the bigger story that God is telling is that he was not going to let sin keep him from you. That when Adam and Eve sinned and sin entered in the world, it created a problem. See, God is holy and God is just and God is also loving and, and God can't have anything to do with sin. But you see, God created us in his image. And so the only solution to this problem was to offer a sacrifice that he decided to provide through his one and only son named Jesus, who came to earth literally to die, who kept God's perfect law. He was perfect in your place. He went to the cross on our behalf. He defeated death through the resurrection. He offers you eternal life. See, God's great story is not yet complete because the promise of scripture is that Jesus will one day return. And every little story in the Bible is contributing to this greater story that's being told. And, and while we can learn some things about Joseph in this story, and we will, it's important for us to recognize why this story was included in God's word. See, when you read a story in the Bible, the first question to ask is, what does this story teach me about God? Not what does this story teach me about Joseph. Joseph's just a guy. He's just like the rest of us. Nothing special about Joseph. There's a real reason this story is included and it helps us understand something about God. So it's our big idea for the sermon. Before we get into all the details, let's just make sure we get this, all right? Big idea. The lives of one person will not thwart God's sovereign plan. That's why this story's here. See, Potiphar's wife makes up this whole story. She thinks she's one. She thinks that Joseph is done with. We'll never hear from him again. But see, as the readers of this story, we kind of know where it's going. Ultimately, Joseph is going to end up second in charge. The only person more powerful in Egypt will be the Pharaoh, the king. Same name, King Pharaoh. And if you were listening and paying attention, I know that was a long passage we just read. When it says that Joseph was thrown into prison, there was a comma, and then it said it was the place where the king's prisoners were confined. See, this wasn't just any prison that Joseph got thrown into. This was the prison where the king's prisoners were confined. And see, one day, Joseph would actually make friends with a couple of guys in that prison who worked for the king. And it would actually be through those friendships that Joseph would be introduced to Pharaoh. See, what Potiphar's wife thought she was doing, which was lying and winning and getting rid of Joseph, she was actually being used by God to get Joseph right where God wanted him to be. Right where he wanted him to be. Because you see, the lies of one person are not big enough to thwart God's sovereign plan. People aren't that powerful. They're just not. And I hope that encourages somebody today. Because for some of you, the only reason you're in a plan B reality is because of what somebody else did. The lies someone told about you may have cost you a job, may have set you back in your career, may have cost you financially, it might have cost you a key relationship. And in this moment in time, it can seem like that person has the upper hand. It can seem like that person is getting away with it. They've moved on with their life. You're left in the middle of the mess. But might I encourage you for a moment? The lies of one person are not big enough to thwart God's sovereign plan in your life either. And one day, you're going to be able to look back and connect some dots. 
you're going to be able to see, like Joseph, how God's sovereign hand wasn't just guiding your good circumstances, it was guiding your bad circumstances as well. So rest in that. Hold true to the fact, hey all, God's either sovereign or he's not. Okay, and he's sovereign in your life and he's using the good, the bad, the ugly and everything in between to get you where he wants you to be. So you keep faith and you keep moving forward, all right? Let's go. I'm preaching now. I'm preaching now. I need a little water. Somebody need to hear that. All right, here we go. But for the rest of our time, now let's shift gears. Let's talk about some warnings. Temptation, Joseph faced it. We're gonna face temptation. It's easy to be deceived. So let's look at these warnings. Let's see what God's word has to say. And let's heed these, all right? First one, first warning concerning temptation. It is easier to make a dumb decision when you're in plan B, much easier. Now you can make a dumb decision anytime, all right? Those are free, but listen, it is easier when you're in plan B. So why is that? Well, sometimes when you're in a plan B, you're not exactly surrounded by the best company. Now, we're not told anything about the people Joseph was with in Potiphar's house, but he's the only Hebrew. He's in Potiphar's house. I think it's fair to say he did not have a weekly life group where he received encouragement, y'all, all right? So when you're in a plan B, sometimes the people you're around aren't exactly providing the encouragement that you need. And it's really important for us to take notice who am I surrounding myself with when we're walking through a plan B? Now look at the warning that we get from scripture. 1 Corinthians 15, Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good character. Who are you surrounding yourself with these days? You don't have to be in a plan B to ask yourself that question. Because see, some of y'all are surrounding yourselves with people who are eventually going to land you in a plan B. Students, teenagers, who you surround yourself with will determine the future trajectory of your life. Be wise, be wise. Adults. Who you surround yourself with will determine the future trajectory of your life too. Y'all better clap. Just be clapping for those teenagers, all right? It's true for y'all too. Listen, this is gonna sound like I'm being mean-spirited. I hope we know each other enough to know I'm not trying to be mean-spirited. I want you to hear my heart on this. Um, sometimes you can surround yourself with people who don't have as much to lose as you do. God has his hand on your life. God has a great plan and purpose for your life but you can derail it. And so many times what derails God's purposes in our lives is just quite simply the company we choose to keep. And you're more vulnerable to making poor choices with the company you keep when you're in a plan B. The other thing that's easy to do in a plan B, easier to make a dumb decision, is to begin to think it can't possibly get any worse. It can always get worse. You can always take a bad situation and make it worse. If Joseph had not handled this situation the way he did, his situation would have gotten much worse. 
You can always make it worse. Years ago, I was having coffee with a buddy and he was having a tough time at work. And I mean, he worked for a boss, all the things. And he was just despondent. And he got to a place where he was just like, at this point, he looks at me, he says, at this point, I just don't know what else I have to lose. I've got nothing left to lose. And I go, no, you could still lose your job. That was an easy one for me, right? But he was emotionally so worked up that he had reached that conclusion. And unfortunately for him, about six weeks later, he did lose his job. What happened? Bad situation became a worse situation. So don't fall into that faulty thinking where you think it couldn't get any worse. Trust me, it can always get worse. Here's the second warning concerning temptation. Deception feels natural when you are being deceived. One of my favorite things to talk about, so buggle up, all right? Deception feels natural when you're being deceived. Deception is easy to spot in someone else's life. It's incredibly difficult to self-diagnose. Most of us don't voluntarily say, I think I'm being deceived right now because it feels natural. It just kind of feels like who we are. We don't see it coming. So why is that? Well, because at the root of every deception is sin. And the Bible presents sin to us as death, destruction, darkness. I can guarantee you one thing today. Sin will never show up in your life as death, destruction, or darkness. Because if it did, you would recognize it for what it is. And you would avoid it at all cost. And the enemy knows that. So he packages death and destruction and darkness and deception. And when you're being deceived, you don't see it. You don't recognize it. Again, look at what God's word has to say about this. Proverbs 14, 12. This is a very challenging verse. There is a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. And you didn't see it coming. I don't see it coming. Why? Because it appears to be right. When you're being deceived, let's look, take a little inventory. I said it's difficult to self-diagnose, but let's just take a little inventory. When you're being deceived, what begins to happen is you begin to focus on your own freedom, on your own rights, on all of the things that concern you. So what's wrong with freedom and rights? Those are really good things. Of course they are. I mean, we've got brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world that can't do what we're doing right now. They can't gather in freedom to worship. We do not take that freedom for granted. That's not the type of freedom I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is we get deceived to a place where we actually think God's ultimate purpose for our life is to be happy. That Jesus hung on that cross so you could be happy. And you begin to focus on your own rights and your own freedom, and at the center of every equation, guess who you put there? You. Guess who I put there? Me. And the way that you can tell somebody is deceived and they don't see it because it feels natural is you hear this word a lot, me. Me, 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 me. I, 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 I. Somebody like, Pastor, I know somebody just like that. (laughs) I'm gonna send them this message, right? Be careful, they might send it to you. (laughs) We all think of somebody else, don't we? I just wish they could hear that. Hey, what if it's you? What if you're being deceived? What if I'm being deceived? We don't always see it. But listen, if you are running things through the lens of you and how it affects you, 
and how it makes you feel, be careful. Be careful. Should you let people run over you? Of course not. Are you supposed to be a doormat in the name of Jesus? Absolutely not. But if everything brings you back to you, you might be getting to a place, again, where you're in danger of being deceived and it actually just feels quite natural. Now, the next point, the next warning then is super important for us to consider. Who you listen to oftentimes determines the next step you take. If I'm being deceived and if I'm in danger of making a bad situation worse, I've gotta make sure the voices I'm now listening to speak truth into my life. And most of us don't seek that out. We seek out voices that will validate how we already feel. And there's a lot of voices that will validate how we feel. It's called social media. I'm old enough to remember what life was like before social media. Jesus, take us back, right? I mean, my goodness. I just remember that. And I remember when social media really started, we were, it was like super exciting. Cause like, wow, like now there's a voice for the people and we're gonna get to hear all of these differing perspectives and we'll listen to how other people think about things. It will help refine our own views. Really? No, no, no. What we do is we lock into how we feel. We see the situation the way that we see it and we find other voices that will quite simply just confirm that. And then we wonder where God's blessing is in our life. Years ago, I just started working in ministry. I was working in an awesome church. I'm in my early 20s. And um, it was a lot of things happening, super busy, big church. And um, I was just frustrated. And um, I was frustrated because nobody was asking for my input. I learned later that's just called being in your early 20s. But at the time... (laughs) Like it was really frustrating. And so I'm, I'm having coffee, no, it was lunch. I'm having lunch with a, a, a friend of mine who's a little older, so he's a friend who's also a mentor. And I'm just kind of laying it out. I'm just kind of explaining all the things I'm frustrated with. And he was also in ministry. And so he's listening to me and, and he finally looks at me. He's like, Adam, I think I know what the problem is. I'm like, great, we can finally solve this. And he says, this one's easy. The problem is your attitude stinks. I was like, I need new friends. Like, what is going on? (laughs) And you know what? He was 100% right. He was 100% right. And I'm so grateful, and he's still a voice in my life, that he looked at me and loved me enough to say, I know what the problem here is. You see him in the mirror every morning. It's you. And until you change your attitude, nothing about your circumstances are going to change. Now, I was not looking for that that day. It doesn't always feel good when somebody loves us enough to tell us the truth. But we need that in our lives. Hey, wives, just let me talk to you for a second, all right? I know this could get interesting, all right? Wives, let me talk to you for a second, okay? Your husband is a knucklehead, okay? He is. He's a knucklehead. If you, if, you don't, if you don't think I'm a knucklehead, my wife and I will be in this lobby after this service. You stop her and you say, how many dumb things did Adam do this week? She'll say, grab a pen. All right, that's what she'll say, okay? Like, I can be a knucklehead too. Like, we're not, we're, we're flawed. Like, we're, we're doing the best that we can. But, but wives, I need you to listen to me. If, if some women in your life are saying things like, you can do better than him, you better get some different voices in your life. Husbands, Your turn, okay? Husbands, you don't have to understand women. 
okay? Take a big sigh of relief, all right? However, <laughs> you do have to understand a woman. That's good. Yours. Okay? And they're all different. Which is why if you've got some buddies in your life who keep telling you what will work in your marriage because it worked in their marriage, you may not wanna listen to them anymore. How about ask your own wife what would work in your marriage? Let her speak into that, okay? Make it a lifelong discovery of loving and learning the woman you married, okay? You gotta choose the voices that speak in your life. Is there somebody in your life who you've given permission to take inventory of your life and report to you on how you're doing? You say, what do you mean? Well, we get a really good passage in Galatians 5 that actually gives us a scorecard for observable behaviors in our life. You say, I worship Jesus, I claim the name of Jesus, awesome. Are these the observable behaviors in your life? Fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22, 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This should be the norm of our lives if we're walking by the Spirit. Is there somebody in your life that you've given permission to consistently say to you, hey, I love you enough to tell you I'm not observing these things in your life? And see, if you don't have that person, that's why God gave us the church. None of us are doing this perfectly. In fact, if you are, don't come back. You'll ruin it for the rest of us, okay? That's the deal. This ain't a perfect church. But we've gotta have people in our lives, church, who will be the voices who love us enough to speak truth into our life. And if you don't have those voices in your life, you're in great danger of being deceived, okay? Let's look at our fourth warning concerning temptation. Instead of saying no one will get hurt, play it out. Just play it out. When you're being tempted, instead of saying no one will get hurt, which is what our society and culture, that's kind of the mantra of our culture. Hey, you do whatever you want, whenever you want, with whoever you want, as long as nobody gets hurt. Somebody always gets hurt. Like we don't live our lives in a vacuum. Like every decision you make, it has ripple effects. There are real people that your real choices and my real choices affect. There is no scenario where we can do whatever we want and no one gets hurt. That just doesn't work that way. So instead of locking into that way of thinking and, and, and saying, well, you know, it's my life and I can kind of do what I want to, I, I just am asking you and I'm challenging you to just play it out. To just play it out. Maybe you're being tempted at work tempted financially, tempted sexually, like we see Joseph in this story today, and, and, and you're considering some options. What I'm asking you to do is play it out. See, the last thing the enemy wants you to do is play it out. Because if you play it out to its likely and logical conclusion, you're gonna see the destruction that you will bring into your life. But I want you to get scared here for a second to recognize why sometimes people get to a place where they've never played it out in their mind and they end up making decisions that brought destruction into their lives. And I want you to see how it could be you as well. How it could be me as well. This is one of the scariest passages in the Bible. First Timothy, First Timothy 4, 1 and 2. 
The Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving, here's our word, spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. You can get to a place where your conscience is seared, where you no longer see right or wrong, where you no longer feel guilt or pain or remorse. And if you don't think you could get there, you're in more danger than you realize. See, we don't throw stones at people when they make mistakes and bring destruction into their lives. We recognize if not for the grace of God, that could be me too. And some of you right now, you're at a place where if you keep moving in the direction you're in, you're going to get numb to the decisions you're making. You're going to become blinded to the pain you're bringing into other people's lives. And might I suggest from God's word, maybe in danger of having your own conscience here. And I'm just asking you to play it out. See what the enemy will do is he will keep the consequences of your choices from bringing devastation into your life. You say, wait a second, what? My whole life I've been told choice consequences. That if you make good choices, benefits. If you make bad choices, consequences. Can I tell you what the enemy does? What the enemy does is that when you, me, all of us decide to dip our toe into the pool called sin and just see how it goes, he doesn't do anything. The Bible actually says that sin is fun for a season, which is why you can kind of dip your toe in the, in the pool of sin and nothing happens. So then you get into it a little further and nothing happens. And now you're, you're kind of doing something that you promised yourself years ago you would never do and nothing is happening. And you begin to think all of those people who taught me choice consequences, they were just trying to keep me from fun. I must be the exception. God loves me. God's presence is with me. And the enemy will just let you stay on that path for as long as he sees fit until when you least expect it, he will unleash all of those consequences into your life at once and unleash all hell into your life and into the lives of those you love and care about. And what I'm asking you to do today is to play it out. Maybe you're in a tough spot in your marriage and there's somebody else they're paying you attention. Maybe you've reconnected with somebody on social media from high school. It's not a big deal. Just kind of, we just text back and forth. You know, we're just, we're just kind of catching up and, but you like the way it makes you feel. I'm asking you to play that out. I'm asking you to tell me how that lands you in any situation other than in your living room explaining to your spouse and kids what you did. Play it out. The enemy does not want you to play out the consequences of deception and temptation in your life because sin by its very nature is wrapped in deception and I need you to play it out.
God would not have you go down a path that would bring destruction into your life and into the lives of those you love. But I know there's some of you, you're wishing you'd have heard this message about a year ago. That pastor, I, I didn't play it out. I made those choices. I, I was being deceived. I can look back now and see it, but I was deceived and I made some really bad choices. I brought a lot of pain into my life and to the life of others. And if that's you today, maybe here on our campus or joining us online, can I remind you that that's why God sent Jesus? God's never expected perfection from you. Jesus was actually perfect in your place. And God is not looking to separate the crowd today. God's not looking to see who hasn't yet followed through and acted on their temptation. And then we got this crowd over here. Y'all know what y'all did. Y'all already messed everything up. That's not how our God works, church. You know why? It's even ground at the foot of the cross. We all need a savior. And listen, if you've messed up, God's not looking to beat you up today. See, our God's so good. He chose to beat up his son on the cross in your place. You don't have to punish yourself because Jesus already took your punishment on himself. That is the good news of the gospel that there's nothing that you could do to earn it. And there's nothing you can do that would ever get you outside of God's love. So it doesn't matter what you did and the destruction you brought and the pain that you've caused. The good news of the gospel message is that God looks at you right now and says, I loved you enough to sacrifice my son for you so that you could be reconciled back to me. And as we prepare our hearts for communion today, can we just rest in that truth? Would, we, would you join me? by standing together, church family, being reminded that because of Jesus's willingness to go to the cross and take the punishment in our place, we don't have to carry that burden today. So we receive the bread together. I love that the heart of this story is Joseph withstanding temptation. See, we have a greater Joseph whose name is Jesus, who withstood temptation in the wilderness for 40 days from Satan himself so that we can receive the power to withstand that same temptation when the enemy comes our way because Jesus defeated him. See, we don't have to defeat the enemy, church. Jesus has already defeated the enemy. He said on the cross, it is finished, which means there's no more battles left to fight. So when we drink from the cup, we celebrate that the shedding of the blood has purchased our salvation. But here's the thing, it's also purchased our victory too, church. So we receive the cup today, rejoicing in that truth. So hey, if that's you, listen, it's real simple. You can keep going in the direction you're going or you can just own it. Confess, you know what the word confess means in the Bible? It means to agree. God, you got me. 
I agree with you. My sin put Jesus on the cross. But hey, here's the thing. When you confess, you repent. Repent means you literally turn and you go in the other direction. You say, because of what Jesus did for me and the forgiveness he's offered me, why would I keep going back to that? That's already been defeated. I'm gonna repent and I'm gonna go in the other direction. That's what we do, church. That's what we've been called to do. You don't have to repent and go in the other direction to achieve forgiveness. You repent and go in the other direction because you've been given forgiveness. That is our response. So repent, move forward. Let today be the first day of the rest of your life. Don't go back to that. God has good things for you or you wouldn't still be here. So rest in that and walk in that. And so God, we come to you right now and we thank you for that. That God, in our own strength, we could never walk away from the sin that so easily entangles us, as Hebrews says, but through Jesus, we can. And through Jesus, we have that victory. And through Jesus, we can recognize when we're being deceived. And through Jesus, we can experience forgiveness. And so Jesus, as we come to just acknowledge that through our response and worship, speak to us. Lord, somebody today needs to hear from you. They feel abandoned. They feel forgotten. They feel lost. They feel like they've thrown it all away. Lord, as we cry out to you, encourage our hearts today. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name, amen.